I'm Dr. Heather Monthy from the About the Tea and STEM podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Infused Classroom Podcast, where each episode, Tanya Abrith and Holly Clark take you behind the scenes with leaders in education, give you insights into what's happening in classrooms around the globe, and showcase online platforms that are disrupting education. Welcome to the Infused Classroom Podcast, where we are talking a little more about VR. And I'm Holly Clark. She's Tanya Averett. I have two guests on our show, uh, Bryn Stothard from the Frankfurt International School and David Hotler from the American School of Madrid, and we are talking all things VR. They told who they were in episode one, and we're just going to jump in, and we're going to start with a controversial little bit statement that I am obsessed with, the idea that Bryn floated by me in Frankfurt that VR, at the very least, is confrontational. And what do you mean by that? Why I think it will be confrontational is that it shifts the role of like the learners in the classroom. And and this is not just because of VR. This is just, it's an ongoing trend, right? Power in the classroom really belongs to the, the learners and not the, not the teacher. If you think about what we spoke about in episode one, where you t- changing students from consumers to producers, that implies something. It implies that the the students are going to be the ones who get to decide and are going to have voice and choice over what they're doing, what they're learning. And the the role of the teacher becomes more of a facilitator or a coach, Um, particularly when when really the role of the teacher uh, at that point is really looking towards competencies because the content can be delivered through a much more interesting way like VR. That's why I think it's initially, well, one of the initial confrontations that uh, you have when you put any kids in VR is that you've lost control of them then. And David probably be able to back me up on this. And he, he spoke about that, that, that boy that he's got in his class and he puts the, the boy in the headset and the boy becomes ultra focused and he's no longer focused on the teacher and what the teacher wants to do. He's focused on what he wants to do and what the, the apps will do for him. So I think in, in some ways that's going to be confrontational. Another big confronta- confrontation is going to be of access uh, to this technology. So governorship and leaders and governments as well, right? You're going to have to yeah. find the money to, to, to go out and, and do this and make it equitable if possible, rather than just, you know, rich where I work at essentially, right? Rather than just us having access, how is everybody going to have fair and equitable access to this? Uh, and then I think the third like big confrontation will be with as well as like the the shifting of the role of the teacher and, and the power of the classroom, I think how are, how are teachers who are not comfortable in assuming this different type of role and don't have the the technical capacity right and the competency yeah. to, to run these classes, how are they going to adapt to that? Yeah, just in the same way that other technologies have come and and you know people have struggled to really adapt to them. Um, like that's going to be the same thing again, right? But probably more. It would be accelerated. So I think there's three confrontations right there. 
this is one of the instances where I think um, video games is going to are is going to re- the video game industry is really going to help teachers. I have several students who are fortunate enough to have an HTC Vive personally at their own home. <laughs> And Sorry. they play all the games. They, they want it for the gaming. I want it for the gaming too. It's really fun. And I've found several games that get your heart rate pretty, pretty pumping, your hands sweating. And I can justify having kids who are sitting out in PE come to me and do, do these games. But these kids come to school with a pretty baseline knowledge of just like the navigation. Like Bryn would back me up on this and saying, if you put a kid in Google Earth VR, you, generally speaking, you want to run them through some kind of like control tutorial. Have them either go through like the the apps tutorial, which takes, I don't know, five minutes unless you're not paying attention or just talk them through it. Um, And I do this in a lot of different apps because you just need to like teach people how to control because you have hands, but your hands aren't your hands, your hands are controllers. That's, That's like kind of like a small little hurdle you have to get through before the kids can really take off. But if you have a student who comes to school and already has all that, you start to look at the, the idea that they don't really need the t- teacher. And Bryn just talked about this a second ago. He said, teachers becoming this, the guide on the side. We've had that goal for a really long time where we wanted these teachers to be more like the navigator on the ship who you consult with as the captain of your learning. And you went to and said, are we still going west? Is there land over there? What do you think about going to this land instead of that land? And sort of being like the expert in the room. When you have students using VR or, or for example, coming to my desk, um, I didn't know anything about atoms and molecules and what those kids were talking about. All I knew was what database I needed to go to to pull up the right one. The kids came out and all I needed to do was hit record. And in fact, I taught the other kids how to hit record so that you recorded for the person who went after you. Once they learned the little basics, they went off on their own. And I think we have video games to thank for that because I'm trying to think of like a classroom technology that we have, that teachers have, that they really want to use. And boy, wouldn't it be great if all the students already knew how to use it, um, like Flipgrid. What if, what if every kid used Flipgrid every night for like six hours and they were so good at Flipgrid that they were more into Flipgrid than you were as the teacher trying to use it in their classroom? That would really change things when you're like, okay, everybody, let's do a quick self-reflection yeah. on Flipgrid. They would already have their systems and their processes yeah. and their routines and everything's already set up. That's also, it's, it's almost like cell phones. If teachers would give cell phones a chance in the classroom, they would realize that there's a whole lot of stuff you can do with kids who are all equipped with a device that they A, know how to use really, really well, and B, is fully loaded with all of the things that they really love, and C, supports all of their systems for self-reflection, um, uh, recording and, and organization, because let's face it, like I'm so organized because of my phone. I'm checking my calendar all the time. Emails coming in. I can take personal notes. I have an idea book. I can get my phone out and read my Kindle app. The same thing's going to happen with VR and it's going to come down to the confrontation that Bryn's talking about and saying, we're going to let this technology in, even though there's a risk that yes, one of the kids might pull up a video game and be playing a game in VR. Yes, they could do that on their phones too. If you shun the entire thing, if you throw the baby out with the bathwater, that's where the confrontation is gonna go south. That's the moment when you catapult yourself forward. I can take something that David said about universities as well. Um, and another confrontation I can see, and I can see this already happening at, at my school, is as, as I take kids forward in using these different technologies, 
um, you know, some of them are in grade eight and they're uh, using 3D scanned objects and they're putting them into Unity, which is a reasonably high-end uh, like gaming platform, game, you know, game creation tool. And so I'm thinking now, like when that student is in a grade, is in grade 10 or when they're in grade 11, grade 12, like what are we, what are we going to do with them? Like we're going to have to create something, create a project or keep up with technology that is going to allow them to move forward in a, in a, in a way that is appropriate to their skill level. So I think that's going to be a confrontation as well. Like how do we keep up with the pace of change in schools? It's going to be a big problem in 2020 to 2030. And how do we remain innovative? Exactly. Exactly. HTC Vive is is just indoor plumbing. Like we're going to be talking about something else in two years, Brent. Yeah. And then another one is, is universities. So right now, like the system that we've created in high schools is essentially streamlining them into courses at universities, right? Uh, on a on a on a on a macro scale about education, that's that's the the general purpose of it. Uh, but if we move towards more kind of competencies and more, you know, what the kids can actually do rather than you know unzipping their heads and pouring knowledge in, then university courses are going to have to shift a little bit as well to accommodate kids with these different skills because when they get there you know mm-hmm. and, and everything is then different everything is then lecture based like they're they're going to be mortified right and they're, they're and then that you know they're the customers so perhaps that that's going to have to shift uh and then i guess jobs as well right it's, it's going to be a confrontation with the, the the natural progression is that if high schools change and universities change then then jobs probably will change. I think um, jobs, maybe jobs, jobs will change first, probably, yeah. and they'll drive drive the other change. I think universities are just making themselves obsolete. I, I think that what's going to happen is you'll have like micro credentialing at companies and jobs, as opposed to spending all this money on a useless degree that's just you know for the for the piece of paper. I, I think ultimately, like there has to be a shift because the way that things are going currently is they're making themselves unnecessary mm-hmm. at $240,000 for a degree. I agree. I haven't got a master's degree, but I was thinking about doing one. And then I, I thought, why don't I just do, cause I didn't have any of the Google like for this year for, you know, something uh, like professional development on top of like all the other professional development that I'm doing. I thought, why don't I just, uh, let's do the Google certifications and I'll, I'll do the Google innovator uh, program certified innovator. And that costs nothing practically, right? To exactly. Do. Uh, it'll be more useful. It'll be more useful probably than. Well, and also you're making the network that you need that's relating to your industry. I mean, it just makes so much more sense, I think. And then that way you're, you're, you have a workforce of people that are thinkers, but they're also, they understand the vision of where you're going in your company. Like it just makes so much more sense. I don't know. This is just my thinking, but I feel like ultimately like uh, once we get past the prestige of college, then there's really no need to, to actually go and spend that much money for something that doesn't help you. I think, Tanya, what you're talking about is the wave of kids that have to come through the current educational system that have taken control of their learning. Because Bryn, I'll tell you what, man, it doesn't cost anything to write a dissertation either. What you're paying for is somebody to, to edit your paper and validate what you said is like, yeah, I think people will like that. That's all you're paying for because you can go out and watch all the YouTube videos and take all the MOOCs and do all the free Google training and do action, action research in your classroom and write your own paper and publish it yourself completely free. Uh, 
Exactly. Actually, why don't we? Let's, let's do some action research. <laughs> I'm serious. Why do we need the university to validate what we're doing in the first place? It's only because we deem that as important. Well, when we start thinking that that's actually what we need, and we stop putting that pressure, then perhaps we can just open up our minds to a whole other space. And I think that's where things have to go. Yeah, I mean, Tanya, what you're saying, I think what you're saying right now is that we've deemed universities as important. I think on a, on a larger scale, what we've deemed important is a system of formal education. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if we're talking, I've heard someone made this argument. They said, wait, why does the teacher want to go from sage on the stage to God on the side? Because eventually that just means you become pretty replaceable. Like, wouldn't we just start putting people in the classroom who just keep the class engaged and then the students just do learning. Wouldn't schools just turn into places? I know you're shaking your head, but I mean, because there's the art and I can do my own. Yeah. There is an art of teaching because it's, it's trying to get a bunch of humans to do all of the same thing and learn. But you know, if, if the knowledge is out there and we've taught ourselves how to navigate something that contains all of the information in the world, the very nature of education starts to change. Mm. And do we need spaces where people actually go to learn or do, do people go to the spaces where they learn best? And yeah, maybe they're a campus filled with people like us and maybe they're not. But if we really want to go down the road of like putting teachers in the navigation role of education instead of the captain role, we have to understand that eventually at some point, learners are going to need less teachers. I, I was at a conference in Shanghai uh, in 2010, and we took some students with us to the conference, and we were talking about this same thing. We said, like, what will education look like in 2050? And all the teachers around, you know, around the table we were saying about how, you know, essentially our role could be become redundant. And one of the students put their hands up and said, oh, that, that's not going to happen. Uh, because my mum and dad need to go to work and they need somebody to look after us. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, yeah, yeah, glorify babysitters. But I think, I think the role, that's obviously like a joke. But the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the role of the teacher really at that point becomes to ask questions, mm. right? And to ask the right questions and, and build competencies in thinking, just critical thinking, because that's going to be really hard to replicate. That's the that's what that's our edge, right? Is being able to do critical thinking and help other people do critical thinking. So I see the role of the teacher being that of an artist. That's like a and, and I call it the art of teaching, where you're laying a mosaic over the the um, the journey that your child's going on, and you're able to connect them to other places. And you're not just a guide on the side or or facilitating. You're really helping. You're taking data that they're giving you. You're taking information points, and you are helping to use those to send them in the direction that they need to go. And that's to me the art of teaching. And the art of teaching has become instead me me giving you information into your head, and somehow that got messed up. And as soon as we step back and look at the art of teaching as something different, we're going to be able to facilitate this kind of change. I, I think there's fallacies that exist in the current system that are preventing widespread takeover by the student. And, and, and one of those is simply that the system is so important um, and that we've placed all of these check marks and checkpoints along the way. And, and there's just people are more and more with the, with, the availability of information, people are shaking their heads more and more and saying, 
No, specialization is where it's at. Like, if you can get through life uh, doing the thing that you love to do and make it by, what's wrong with that? When I need a Google search or when I want to search some database of information, it's less about having it all front-loaded and more about thinking in ways that make me capable of accessing it. And so, I, I mean, I, I can't tell you what value high school chemistry has added to my life other than that it taught me that I had to think about these things and that they were important. And, and, and also not that teachers are not that teachers are not valuable at all. I think exactly what you're saying. It takes a village. And I think more people, not just people who have been formally educated to mimic the system they've been told is a great system. Cause that's really what we have become. We're people who are passionate about helping kids. And so we went through a system that taught us how to adapt to a different system. You know, like when I go to school, I get to, to be with all these toys and these things and my passions and oh yeah, kids come to me and I help them learn. I think that's what education and teaching is going to look more like. It's going to be people who go to work, who do things that they really care about with kids. Uh, and that's how the learning is going to happen. And, and here's proof that there's a system that exists that's pretty broken. We have people in our system um, that advocate for the student because of the system. And these are all the people who like make sure yeah. that kids get the right accommodations during tests. Yeah. There's a position that exists to protect the student against the system. That in and of itself is evidence that the system is broke. I like that. I'm going to use that. And I, um, as you were talking about like guide on the side, I heard in Australia, someone use the term guide on the ride. And I kind of yeah. like that better because I think it, it, kind of says in its wording that we're not there to be on the side. We're there to really be part of this incredible situation. And there comes in the art of teaching again. There's a school you decide and every school is different, right? But as a school, you decide what are the things that we want our graduate to look like? What are the characteristics? What are the competencies? What are the, the things that a graduate from American school, Madrid or Frankfurt international school or whatever. Right. And, and, the, and, Different schools around the world are going to have a different interpretation of that. And then the role of the teacher is how do we, you know, whatever those characteristics are, empathy, uh, insight, creativity, how does the teacher help the kid become that? Not how do we help them pass the AP maths or IB chemistry or whatever. It's how do we help them on that journey to become the thing that we've said we were going to do with them. How are we gonna? How are we gonna get them to make the impact on the planet and on the world that we've said is what the job of the teacher and the, and the institution is? So as we wrap up here, um, and I could talk to you guys for more time, and I will be booking more time with you because I, I love your minds. But I want to say something that happened to me last week in Beijing. Um, I asked some teachers to tell me what they thought twenty thirty would be like in terms of school and classrooms. And one of the responses was, it will be bliss if you have money. It will be the same if you're poor. What are your thoughts about that? Um, absolutely, I think it hurts because I think, I think public education and education in general is something that we've been lying to ourselves about for a really long time. Yeah. And so when you say bliss and when you say the same, what you're, what you're talking about are the perceptions of the user. Um, and, and exactly what Bryn just said about what do you want your graduate to look like? I think when more communities start to take hold of their systems of education, 
and stop relying on the national government of whatever country they're in for for the direction and the funding, I think what you'll start to see are people living happier lives because they've gotten what they needed from the system. Um, from living in Spain, what I've learned is that there is nothing wrong with growing up and living with and near your family and working and just having a life that you're satisfied with that isn't a chase of money. I think a good education system makes you realize that and it, it instills in you an idea and a sense of community and empathy and compassion that makes you a happier human being because you see what's in front of you and, you, and you're happy with it. Wow. So I guess right now, if you look at the, the, the recent scandal, right, with, was it Yale? and, uh, and yeah. the people paying to, to get into college. That illustrates how, yeah, the system is attached to money, right? The whole thing is tied to, to how wealthy you are. Uh, and wealthier kids, by and large, do do better than poorer kids because uh, they have access. But I'm not sure. I, I have faith in, in the, the kids that we're putting out into the, into the world. And if you look at, Look at the look at news events, and you see like students' interpretations, young people's interpretations of the world. I think are quite different to the you know the the, the older people's interpretation. So I have faith that the world is going to change and it's going to shift and become more equitable. Um, but I just think it's going to take time, and we yeah we have to try and decouple money right from from education, and I think. Yeah, we already said today that universities are driving a lot of this, and and there's a lot of money sunk into super high cost education, which we, we again we've said is not really is that is that really building competencies or is it just building? Uh, I'm not even sure what it's building, um, but I've, I don't know. I've, I'm more hopeful. I'm more hopeful for the future. Me and too. I, I don't think I don't think that you know good good teaching and and facilitating and and qu- Again, just coming back to critical thinking, right? That doesn't cost anything for teachers to ask the right questions. Yep. Um, and so I think I think that in it, that by you know that in itself is enough. And shout out to Google for trying to democratize this VR experience. While it might not be the same as HTC Vive, I mean they've done something to make it semi-free to get it into the hands of kids, even though the experience is not as experiential. I mean, shout out to them for doing that. Shout out to YouTube as well, right? For sharing <laughs> the, these videos for nothing. So you can get a low cost headset. You can get the, the cardboard uh, device and you can watch YouTube videos and it, it's not going to cost everything. I think like that's within, within the next decade, that's in the reach of pretty much, everybody on the planet right if certainly like that would be an easy thing that we could make in, in the reach of everybody on the planet well i want to thank you both i know it's late there in your um part of the world but we will be reaching back out we want to have many conversations with you uh, that because a classroom infused with vr is uh, going to be big and you two are on the forefront of that you're getting to do things in these international schools other people don't get to do so Uh, We hope that you will join us many times. We're going to start with your, this uh, series, by the way, because we're so excited about what you shared. So um, thank you. And go get some sleep. (laughs) Okay. I'll feed us in. 
Bye, you guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Infused Classroom podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or anywhere you get podcasts. Keep up with the conversation by using the hashtag Infused Classroom on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure to check out InfusedClassroom.com. See you next time.